0: How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you all. Let's turn to the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Starting in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it is by your son we have life. We thank you that we can turn to you, God, in times of need, and you are ever faithful and always there with us. Lord, we want to lift up uh, Dan Benson as he continues to recover from his ankle surgery, that that would mend up well. We pray for our sister, Lorene, who is in the hospital, that you would be with her as well, and let the doctors figure out what's going on. Please uh, heal her, even now, God, we ask that you would do that. Lord, we thank you that you are, are with us every single step of the way. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers We pray for our brothers and sisters across this land that um, the the true believers would be faithful to you to walk um, in accordance with your scriptures, and we pray that for our brothers and sisters uh, across the world. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of the Belizean believers that continue to seek you, God. We pray your blessing upon the churches down there, and we pray, God, um, as we endeavor and prepare to send out the cooks. That you would be working already in the hearts of the people that they're going to be going to that there would be much 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 fruit born in the years to come bless them lord bless them as they head out this week for a conference and may they um, find partners even a, a, a partner god to uh, go with them to plant a church lord so we pray that you would open up doors and let them make connections that are from you and we thank you lord that your word is going forth We thank you that we have the privilege to do that. We have the privilege to pray for that. You say the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Even the curriculum we're using in our life groups, Father, we ask that you would use that to uh, sharpen us, to be better prepared to share our faith, to be better prepared to engage people. And by your spirit, you would give us a boldness um, to open our mouths, and speak your truths, Lord. Give us those opportunities, and then when you do, let us seize them. Thank you for the life that we have in Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved. So we thank you for Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and may we continue to walk with you faithfully. We pray this with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen. We've been looking at the things that God does for us In Christ and and the first thing we looked at was how God in Christ fills us he fills us with his spirit he fills us to walk with him and he can do that because he is the fullness of deity then we looked at uh, what it means to be circumcised with Christ and how God cut his own son on the cross um, for us he didn't just uh, nick him he cut him to the point of death and because We are crucified with Christ because we're buried with Christ. Um, We share in that same um, death. Today, we're going to be looking at what it means to be buried with Christ. So, we're going to look at that. We're also going to look um, in, in future weeks at what it means to be raised with Christ and then as well as made alive. But really, these six key words there's five things that God does. The sixth one is two words He makes us alive. They explain what God did for us in Christ. And so really you get a clear picture of the fullness of what the gospel entails. And when God takes a person and regenerates their soul. So filled, circumcised, today uh, buried with Christ. Well, how do we know when we look at this passage? Because we read, oh, how many verses did we read? We read seven verses. How do we know it's these six words that are so important. I mean, all the words are important, right? But how, why do we know and how can I form a a sermon series, if you will, based on these words and not some of the other words in the text? Well, the simple answer is just how the text is put together. So grammar. And when you look at it um, and you look at the sentences and you look at the grammar and you can examine it, what you can see end up popping out to you are the main points that Paul is emphasizing to us. A lot of times they come in the forms of imperatives. And what are imperatives? They're commands. These commands that we've been examining are all in the passive voice. Okay? So when they're in the passive voice, that means the subject doesn't actually do the action. You've probably been taught in school that the subject does the action of the verb. Well, that's when it's in the active voice. But when it's in the passive voice, the subject doesn't do the action. It receives the action. So when they're in the passive voice, uh, theologians use, uh, call it, um, when we're looking at a passage like this and you see different um, commands that are in the passive voice where the subject receives the action of the verb, it's called the divine passive. Why is it called the divine passive? Because the person that is doing the work is none other than God himself. So he's the one that fills us He is the one that circumcises us. And today we're going to see that he is the one that buries us with Christ. So look, if you will, at verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Why the reference to baptism? We're buried with him in baptism, but why does he reference baptism? Well, what else would the Bible say you were buried into? I mean, baptism makes sense here. It especially makes sense if you believe baptism is by full immersion because you're going down under the water. Think of physical water baptism for a moment. The person that's standing in the baptismal waters, what do they represent? They represent the old person, the old man. So what happens? The imagery is they are buried under the waters. Then what happens? They're brought back up. Hopefully not not too long after they go under, right? It's going to be a a funeral service. So they're brought up, but here's the thing. That old man that's standing before you, he represents the person's life before Christ. Well, what do you do when, when the person dies? Well, you bury them. That's what you do. You bury them. So He's put into the ground. And we see this when they go under the water. That's what it's signifying. The old man, as Romans talks about, the old man is buried. That person is dead. He's gone. He's not coming back. What comes? The newness of life. He comes up out of the baptismal waters, signifying the new life. Here's the thing. And Jake, it's good to have you back, by the way. We missed you. Did y'all miss Jake? We missed your amens and your vocalness during the sermon, we're going to have uh, you and Andy Sr. give a a short class on being vocal during sermons, all right? (laughs) So here's the thing about baptism. Whenever we hear the word baptism, we almost always think of the physical baptism. That's That's what we get focused on. But here's the thing, spiritual baptism is commonplace in the New Testament. So in regards to what Christ does for us, we read a whole lot more about spirit baptism than we do water baptism. What do I mean by spirit baptism? I'm just talking about the work that Christ does within us when we get saved. Look at Mark chapter, hold your place in Colossians because we're going to come back, but look at Mark chapter 10. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So when Jesus says here, be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized, what is he referencing? Well, he's referencing, it's a metaphor for his suffering and death that he's going to experience. And what's his point to James and John? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to experience it too. You're Like, you're wanting all the glory. Like, you want to sit at the right hand and the left hand. <clears throat> I mean, I guess if you're going to uh, aim high, you might as well go all the way for the top, right? That's what James and John were thinking. So they, they want to sit at the right hand and at the left. They, like, they want to be the right hand man. They want to be right there when Jesus is ruling in his kingdom. And, and Jesus flips the script on them and says, You do not know what you were asking. Like, you, if you want glory, guess what? It comes at a cost. You want to be with Jesus? There's a cost to it. They were thinking Jesus was just going to pray in Jerusalem and be crowned the king, and Rome was going to be overthrown, and the Messiah was going to usher in, usher in the kingdom. Well, they were in for a surprise. And what is Jesus telling them? No, I, I have a baptism to undergo. And guess what? Yeah, you, you're, you have a baptism to undergo too. And it's not going to be pretty. I have a cup to drink. And you have a cup to drink too. And it's not going to be pretty. So listen. When you are spirit baptized, you're baptized into, into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So it, it makes sense that Paul would use that imagery of being buried with Christ in baptism. Water baptism does not accomplish that. It symbolizes it, but it doesn't accomplish it. Look at Luke chapter 12. We'll see Jesus say something similar. Luke 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that were it already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Does that baptism sound like a fun, great thing to go through? No. What's the baptism? It's his suffering. It's his death on the cross. It's his burial. Look at a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 15, Luke 3. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here we have, I mean, we have the contrast. You got the physical baptism, you got the spirit baptism. And John's like, listen, I'm just just using the water. But one greater than me is coming, and and he's not going to be using water to baptize you. He's going to be using the Holy Spirit to baptize you. Same thing uh, uh, is is similarly said in John chapter 1. Turn there. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So numerous times baptism is mentioned here, and John is like, I'm the one baptizing with water. That's what I'm doing. I'm baptizing with water. But one is coming, and what's he going to do? He's going to baptize not with water, He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I mean, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have John's water baptism or Jesus' spirit baptism? I mean, it's not too hard of a choice, is it? You want the spirit baptism. That's the one that gives life. And Jesus himself, this is what he tells his disciples. Look at Acts chapter 1. So, John the Baptist makes the contrast. Paul has made the contrast. Jesus himself is making the contrast between the water baptism and the spirit baptism. What happens not many days from now? They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. Listen, confusion will abound for you if, whenever you read the word baptism in the Bible, you just assume it's water baptism. Okay, you have to realize there is a spirit baptism that God himself does. And remember this, water baptism, as we're going to see, water baptism conveys what you already that you already were spirit baptized. You get the water baptism after you get the spirit baptism. It would make no sense to baptize with water those who hadn't been baptized by the spirit. We baptize believers. Water baptism, it really stands in the background of the spirit baptism. It's only signifying the baptism that God has already done in your heart. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 corinthians 12 starting in verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body how many were baptized into one body all, all. okay how many spirits are there one. one so one spirit and we're all baptized into how many bodies one body, one body. Okay? One spirit, one body, all of us baptized by that one spirit into the one body. It says, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay? There, again, the imagery right, of the drinking, of taking that cup. You're drinking of the one spirit. So water baptism shows that spirit baptism has already taken place. And people get off track when they start to confuse the sign or the symbol for the reality. So physical baptism, water baptism, it's a sign. Don't mistake the sign for the thing itself. Now, if you go outside and you see a rainbow in the sky, what is it a sign of? It's a sign. It's a sign of the Noahic covenant, right? The the covenants in the Old Testament, they all have a sign that goes with them. Abraham's covenant, circumcision, we could go through it all, but it's the the sign of the Noahic covenant. And what's the Noahic covenant? That God promises he'll never, he covenants with with Noah after the flood, right? And part of that covenant, I'll never destroy the earth again with the flood. So you see the rainbow, but when, when you see the rainbow. You're not like, oh, it's the Noahic Covenant being formed right now. No, that, that was formed thousands of years ago. It's the sign of what has already occurred. Okay, It's the sign of what it has already occurred. And what does it symbolize? That God is faithful, that he's not going to destroy the earth again by water, that he has covenanted with Noah. So it's a reminder. And here's the thing. It shows what has already occurred. Okay, The covenant is made, and then the sign is given. Covenants are always made, then the sign is always given. So, again, when you see the rainbow, you're you're not thinking the Noahic covenant is formed right then. It's the sign that it was formed. So what is baptism a sign of? It's a sign of the covenant that God made with you. That, along with the Lord's Supper... Some theologians, when we talk about this covenant, they call it the covenant of grace. And it's made between God and man. And this is where God promises man eternal salvation based upon the sacrifice of Jesus. Why is it a covenant of grace? Because it is completely and entirely unmerited for us. We don't merit it. It's given to us. God, through Jesus, merits it. But God initiates it, and it's not due to anything that we've done. No worthiness on our part could ever cause God to make that covenant with us. It's a covenant of grace. Now, this covenant of grace was progressively disclosed. Where where did it begin? All the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. What's the promise given of a Redeemer? Genesis 3:15 I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel that first glimpse of what God was going to do through Jesus the covenant had started then it continues to roll through Abraham why because he's going to bless what just the nation of Israel no what is what do we learn he's going to be a blessing to how many nations all the nations. Well, how is that possible? Well, because the gospel is for all. The covenant of grace is open to all. God is willing to covenant with any man or woman or child, if they but come to him, if they but believe. So, it was progressively disclosed. So, this baptism, that's a sign of the new covenant. And what does it show? That new birth is present. That God has covenanted with you and entered into a personal relationship with you, adopting you into his family. When did he do this? Well, he did this by reaching out to you while you were still covered in your filth and vileness of sin. You were dead, Ephesians says. You were dead. And what does God do? He makes you alive. But you're dead, and what can a dead person do? Nothing. Nothing. That's why God has to initiate it. That's why it has to be all of God. A dead person can't do anything. So what does God do? He sees you in your fallenness. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, right? So you're still sinning and sinning and sinning. You're an enemy of God. You're by nature a child of wrath, Ephesians 2. So you're completely against him. And what does he come? He comes and he scoops you up and he regenerates you. He justifies you. He sanctifies you. He saves you fills you with his spirit, the spirit baptism, the baptism that every single person needs if they want to be made right with the holy God. So when you see someone baptized, you're not like, oh, oh look, you know, someone, someone goes under the water, you're not like, oh, look, God is covenanting with someone right now. No, he's already covenanted with that person. Okay, that's the sign. That's the sign that he's covenanted, but he already has covenanted with that person. Signs always follow the covenant. So here in Colossians, Paul's emphasis on on the present reality of one's resurrection with Christ, he's he's really combating those who are trying to water down the significance of what Christ has done. And there's, there's this already, what theologians call this already not yet tension. I mean, it's, Look back at the passage in Colossians, because I want you to see it for yourselves. Look what he says. Like It's all in the past tense. You have been filled, verse 10. You were circumcised, past tense, verse 11. You have been buried, verse 12. You were raised, verse 12. And then verse 13, you were made alive. So, all the things that God has already promised he's already done. It's like there's this already, it's been accomplished, but we don't yet have the fullness of it. We've been made alive, but one day we will realize the fullness of that when Christ comes back. But the Bible talks about it oftentimes, even in Romans, it even says the past tense, we were glorified. Why? Because God sees it as something that is absolutely already accomplished and done. There's no going back. If you've been saved, you got everything with it all the way to the glorification. So God is, is looking at you, and he sees you in Christ. Therefore, he sees you as redeemed, as justified. You've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. So yes, it's already there, but it's not yet there. Think about what baptism represents. It represents the commitment to enter the tomb with Jesus after he's been taken off the cross. Like, I identify with him. You can say that I identify with him as you point it to the cross, but are you you willing to go all the way with Jesus? Like, all the way. Into the tomb with him. He's been buried, and a stone is going to be rolled across his tomb. Do you still identify with him? You're like, yes, I identify with him. Well, then you're going into the tomb with him. Okay? Death, burial, resurrection. The burial shows complete commitment. Death and burial. You're willing to go the entire way. You're willing to identify completely with Jesus, his death and his burial. And when you do this, what happens? Well, the old you is gone. The old you is buried. The old you is out of sight. He is no longer. He's a thing of the past. And what does it proclaim? It proclaims there's a new order. The old order is over. You don't remain in the water. Get out of the water. Come out of the water. And what happens? You're different. Jesus comes and he baptizes you with his spirit. Are you the same? Or are you different? You're different. How how can you not be different if Christ does a work in you? Okay, the person you were before and the person you were after are completely different. Completely different. So, here's the thing. To make a couple applications here. One, we need to remember this is God's work. This is God's work. Each one of us has no place for boasting no place for boasting how can it be that some of the most intelligent people in this world don't believe the gospel because it's not about them it's about the work of Christ and how can it be that some of the the youngest kids can be saved and trust in Jesus, because it's not about them. It's about the gospel. You don't need some fancy intellect to trust in Christ. You don't need that. What do you need? You need a childlike faith. Jesus talks about it over and over and over again, a childlike faith. That's why children can be saved. A simple trust in Christ, turning away from your sins and turning to Jesus. What is look at Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2 verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God did you have anything to do with your salvation this is not your own doing. You've been saved through faith. Verse 8, it is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And it says it even clearer, not a result of works. And then look what it says, so that no one may boast. We, we have no place for boasting. What happens when you, when you try, you know, Christ is the one that fills us, but what happens when you try to fill yourself up? It doesn't go so well. Because you end up trying to fill yourself up in all sorts of different ways apart from Christ. And you end up a miserable wreck. What happens when you try to save yourself? Epic fails. All over the place. The work is God's and God's alone. Listen, we're running this race. That's the imagery that we're given. We're running a race and sometimes it can feel like that race is a walk, or even a crawl, because of challenges. Maybe we've fallen into sin, maybe we've made unwise decisions. Sometimes it feels like a jog, sometimes it feels like a, a run, and, and, and sometimes it feels like a sprint. But it's a race. But, and what's the goal? Like finish, finish. So you get, Paul gets to the end of his life, right? I have run the race well. I have finished. So how do you, how do you enter the race? Well, you have to be on the team. Uh, my, my youngest son, Ethan, he just had his first couple cross-country races the last couple Saturdays. <clears throat> so you, you have to be on the team. If you just showed up to a, to a, a high school race, they're just not going to let you randomly enter the race. No, you have to go through a process, you have to register, you have to be on the team, you have to meet the qualifications. Well, listen, God takes us, and he's the one that qualifies us for the race. Okay, so he takes us, and he enters us into that race. All the qualifications required, God meets them in his son Jesus. And then he gives that to us. He's the one that enters us. And what are we trying to do in the race? We're trying to win. Listen, we can win because of what Christ has already won for us. We can win because of what Christ has already won for us. He's already won it all for us. They had a race recently, a marathon race. There was 30,000 runners in this race. That's a lot of people. And they had to disqualify 11,000 of them. Almost over one-third of them for taking shortcuts and, and uh, taking uh, pieces off and, and Going, going. They were disqualified for cheating. What does 1 Corinthians 9 talk about? Run so that you may obtain it, run in such a way so that you win. And Paul himself said, <clears throat> I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Like God is gracious to put us in this race and we're running it for him. And we run with aim and we run with purpose. And we're able to do that because of what Christ has done for us. So we want to remember as we're, as we're walking throughout our Christian walk, as we're running the race that God has placed us in, like sometimes we can get, we can listen. You know, I used to run cross country. One of my goals was to just don't ever stop running. Even if it's like a really slow mile, I want to always be running. Even if it might have looked like the other people I was walking, (laughs) like I'm going so, but I want to, I want to keep moving forward and making progress. I didn't ever want to stop. And listen, God has given us everything that we need in Jesus to continue on in the race. There's not like a part two that we're waiting for and that he's going to come and he's going to give us something to, to finish the next part. We have it all. We have it all. We have everything we need to finish that race strong. Brothers and sisters, let's make sure as we are running, we are continuing forward and not stopping. Okay? Even if we feel like we're slowing down sometimes. You know there's different strategies for, for running races. Even if we feel like we're we're slowing down, we keep running. We keep running. We put our hand to the plow and we don't look back. We keep running. Why? Because God's the one that put us in this race. Listen, God doesn't put us in races if he doesn't know we're going to not finish. He puts us in there, and he has confidence. Why? Because he's already done it all. He has the confidence that we will run, and we will finish that race. Let us each be like Paul to be able to say at the end, I have run well. I have run well. And some of our time, some of us are closer to the end than others. Let's keep running. There's there's no excuse for us to slow down. God has given us all the tools, all the things, all the blessings, all the riches that we need in Christ. Sometimes we get tired. Guess what? Then we need to grab some brothers, we need to grab some sisters and gather them around us and have them pray over us and encourage us. Sometimes we've gone through some different challenging things and we need some ministry from people, we need some counsel from those spiritually more mature. Let's do that, but let's keep running remember the work that god has done sometimes just remembering like that he's done it all that 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 gives us like the head knowledge but also the heart knowledge that we can keep pressing on what has he done he has filled us and how how can he do that because of what jesus accomplished for us he was the fullness of deity so he can be fulfilling to us not just partially filling not just oh, i'm kind of satisfied no jesus can be everything we need to be satisfied We can find our full, complete, entire satisfaction in Jesus. We don't have to look elsewhere. Christ and Christ alone. And we've been circumcised. The cutting. We've been circumcised with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Last week we saw what? God cut his own son for us. And we share in that cutting. We've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And now we're seeing that we've been buried. The old man is going under the water, and he's not coming back. Praise God that when he saves us, he actually does a transforming work in us. I mean, it would be kind of horrible to think he could just save us and just, we'd just remain in our sins and just in our old man walking around in sinfulness all the time. But, but we are the new creation. And guess what? New creations act like new things. And that means we can walk in obedience. The unbeliever, all they can do is choose to sin, 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 sin. Everything they do, it's sin. They can't do anything to glorify God. They are enemies of God. They're called to love God. They hate God. And guess what? Such were all of us. All of us. At one point. And what does God do? He comes. And what? We're no longer enemies. He offers peace. He offers us the terms he offers us the covenant, And what does he do? He covenants with his people. Makes them new again. So we've been buried with Christ. And as we're going to see, we've been raised with Christ and we've been made alive with Christ. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the beauty of our salvation, just even if you can start to wrap your mind around it just a little bit, the beauty of our salvation. If all we had was just these verses here, that'd be enough for us to praise God for the rest of eternity, what we have in Christ and what he's done for us. It is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have covenanted with your children, and it is all you're doing, all your initiation. You come into us, and grabbing us out of the muck and the mire. You are gracious to save us, to redeem us, to give us your spirit. Father, we love you. And I pray that you would continue to open our spiritual eyes to see the wonders and the beauty of what you did for us through your son Jesus. Over and over again, Lord, you rain that mercy down upon us. You rain that grace down upon us. And we thank you. Continue your work through us, Lord. Thank you for equipping us to run the race, to continue on. I pray for any brothers and sisters that are discouraged, that maybe have been tripped up, that you'd come alongside them, remind them you've been there with them. focus their heart on things above. They'd get some brothers and sisters to pray for them. They would know that you are better than anything that this world has to offer. Remind them of the hope of the resurrection. And thank you, Father, that you are so good to us, that you love us so much. We pray you would continue to go before us. Let us continue to follow after you each In every step, Lord, to be faithful, to follow after you. Our Lord, our Master, our King, we love you. Amen.